Hey everybody, welcome back to Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon. Great to be back here uh, for another great week of CFL betting action. We've had a nice couple of weeks here, uh, I'd say in general. Uh, hope, hopefully you're cashing in on that. Uh, and, and we'll hope to keep the party rolling this week. Uh, we had a bit of a tough break on the, the Montreal outright win there on, on Saturday night. Didn't quite cash that one, thanks to the, the late fumble from Mr. Pipkin. Uh, but crucially, they, they did cover all the point spread numbers from the, the opening line right up to the closing line. So uh, fortunately for, for those of us who, who got our, our bets down before the Vernon Adams suspension was announced, uh, we, we end up getting, getting through that one by the skin of our teeth as they, they cover that uh, opening number of plus two and a half. Uh, but we'll have a have a look at that game in detail, along with the the rest of the what transpired last week before we jump into week 17. Uh, before we do that, I'll remind you that you can follow along uh, on Twitter at kdrive88. That's k d r i v e eight uh, eight. Send me any any feedback, questions, or comments you may have, and uh, if you're so inclined, feel free to check out the website firstlinepicks.com. There's some uh, some other betting content there, as well as the complete show archive. If you were you were interested in in going back through that at any point, uh, so let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump into things here with last week's uh, roundup, and we'll we'll start with that uh, Montreal BC game from last Saturday night. So the Alouettes, as, as we know, we're playing without their starting quarterback Vernon Adams and Matthew Schiltz getting the call for this one. I thought he put in a pretty decent performance here. Um, it's not reflected in the passing numbers. Montreal graded out at just 29% through the air, which is uh, easily a season low. But when one of those is a 97-yard touchdown strike, it at least makes up for some of the efficiency issues. The biggest drop-off from Adams to Schiltz, though, wasn't that a bunch of mistakes were being made per se, but more that Schiltz just doesn't have Adams' escapability and vision in the pocket when the pressure arrives. The Lions put four sacks on the board in the first half, uh, one of those resulting in a fumble around midfield. This Montreal offensive line, I, I've mentioned that these guys have pulled up their bootstraps as the season is worn on. I'd say they're still only flirting with maybe being league average, though, in, you know, at least in terms of pass protection. And that was on display a little bit on the passing downs as the normally docile BC defensive line was getting to the quarterback quite regularly, uh, especially early on in the game. But those guys do deserve a lot of praise for the job they did clearing a path for the run game. The Owls ran the ball down BC's throat, and it's the main reason they were uh, you know, an Antonio Pipkin one-yard line fumble away from, from almost certainly winning the game outright. 16 of 22 runs overall graded successful with a, a whopping seven explosives. Most of that damage coming from their workhorse, William Stanback, but Jeremiah Johnson also got in on the action a little bit, and, and Schiltz showed his his excellent open field speed with with a couple very nice runs himself, uh, one that set up a, a plunge-in touchdown on the next play. The BC offense continued to operate in a fairly similar manner to recent weeks, and mostly the short passing game with a healthy dose of the run sprinkled in there. 37 dropbacks for Mike Riley, which is closer to the totals we were seeing earlier in the year, um, but only two pass plays that went for more than 20 yards on the night. Uh, 
but at 59%, they were quite efficient, and they, they clearly went after the area of the field where the Owls' defense has been rather weak this year, which is within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. The big talking point is, of course, going to be Kahari Jones's decision to gamble on third and one at the BC yard, uh, two-yard line with, with around a minute left in that game, passing up the opportunity to kick the go-ahead field goal with the Owls trailing by two points at the time. I think this was one of those decisions where there there probably wasn't really a wrong strategy. They needed half a yard on the sneak from Pipkin. That's a play you execute properly at least 90% of the time, and the, the end result is either going to be a touchdown to put you up by more than a field goal, or a first down that enables you to kick a, a, kick a field goal if, with you know zeros on the clock if, if you so choose. You know, a, a successful sneak basically wins the game there. Unfortunately, sometimes that 10% failure rate rears its ugly head at the worst possible moment, and that's what happened here. If they had decided to kick the field goal, you'd still be leaving the Lions offense close to a minute to get themselves into field goal range to, to attempt a game winner of their own. Uh, I mean, that's an eternity. And with the way they were moving the ball in 10-yard in chunks for most of the night, I'm, I'm sure Kahari was, was thinking there was a very reasonable chance the, the Lions would have indeed ended up with the, at least a game-winning field goal attempt uh, had Montreal given them the ball back with that much time left. If there is a call that can maybe come under some scrutiny, I'd almost say it was the decision to pass on first down with around 50 seconds left in the first half of the game, uh, you know, with the Owls scrimmaging pretty deep on their own side of the field. With the way the run game had been bulldozing its way over the Lions front seven, I'm not sure why you wouldn't just hand it off a couple times there. And, it, you know, at minimum, if you do get stopped, you're you're punting the ball away with almost no time remaining and, you know, getting yourself into halftime only down a field goal. Instead, BC got the ball back with lots of time to get into field goal range, and, and they did just that, stealing uh, you know an unlikely three points right at the end of the first half, and that ended up looming large in the end. Overall, though, I, I thought we got a first-rate effort out of Montreal that we were hoping for. The, you know, they narrowly missed the outright win, but thankfully that two-and-a-half opening number does indeed cash to avert disaster for everyone who swamped it before the Adams suspension came down. That game proved to be the most entertaining of the week uh, by by a large margin, I would say. Uh, you know, in other action, we had the Riders run roughshod over the Argonauts. No big surprise there. Uh, that line moved out to a full touchdown by kickoff time, which perhaps caused a, a little hesitation for betters that missed the, the early number. But this game was never in serious doubt. Saskatchewan going on to post a 25-point victory. The Argo offense under James Franklin, uh, Franklin was predictably weak in most areas. The, the run game actually did have some success when utilized. Toronto, in fact, had more explosive run plays than pass plays in this game. But when you only run 13 times, that's not nearly enough to overcome the lack of production in the air. McLeod Bethel Thompson was on the bench and the, the deep threat just didn't exist here. Uh, and, and the Argos only completed four passes for more than 10 yards the, the entire night. The Riders, they were ruthlessly efficient against a defense that hasn't been effective all year. They cracked the 70% threshold in terms of overall efficiency. I, I believe that's about the highest mark anyone has posted all year. So Sachs takes care of business here and sets themselves up nicely heading home to take on the Blue Bombers this week. Speaking of those Blue Bombers, they now find themselves reeling after dropping their first home game of the season on Friday night against the surging Tiger Cats, who were one blocked field goal away from going 3-0 on their western road swing. 
Things actually started off well for Winnipeg in this game. They marched down the field for a major score on the opening possession. Yeah, not a big surprise. Offensive coordinator Paul Lapolis has, has had these guys ready to roll early on throughout the season. But after that first scripted drive, it was all downhill for Chris Strebler and the offense, who sputtered their way to just a pair of field goals the rest of the evening, eventually falling 33-13. to I was worried coming into this game about how the Bombers were going to respond emotionally after the huge collapse in Montreal the previous week, and they were dealt another blow of sorts with the announcement on game day that Matt Nichols was going to require surgery and was being shut down for the season. I don't know, kind of a weird situation, I guess. I mean, Chris Strebler's done a pretty good job running the offense in Nichols' absence. So obviously, the run threat introduced a completely new dynamic there. Uh, but it, it seemed to me there was always that mental security blanket of sorts with the when the possibility existed that Nichols might be coming back before the end of the year, and you know, and you might have two quarterbacks at your disposal potentially. Uh, it just seemed like the mindset shifted with with the realization that it you know it was going to be swinker sink or swim now with Strevler for for the rest of the year. You know, for as, as good as he's looked at times running over defenses, this Winnipeg offense dearly misses the deep ball threat that Nichols brought to the table. The overall efficiency of the Bombers' offense hasn't changed to a noticeable degree since Nichols was injured, but he was usually good for a couple of field-flipping 50-yard bombs that uh, that just haven't materialized under Strevler, and nor do I expect that those really will. And an offense that needs some explosiveness in this league to succeed. Keeping the sticks moving is important, but the the reality is the the field's 110 yards long, and if you're operating with a style that might require you to pick up four first da- four or five first downs on on a single possession in in order to score, you you just don't have a lot of margin for error. In three down football, a, a single negative play on a possession is a killer to an offense, and when you snap the ball ten times on a drive, for example, that's just a lot of chances for a penalty, a sack, or a drop ball to occur and, and force the offense off the field. Winnipeg operated reasonably effectively on first downs and gave themselves plenty of second and manageable situations, but the sheer volume of second down situations they faced against what I think is probably the top defense in the CFL at this point is what did them in. Only picking up nine first downs on 37 first down snaps just isn't going to get it done on most evenings, and you know, and some of those came when the game was already out of reach in the fourth quarter anyway. Defensively, there's a lot of cause for concern here as well. Uh, Hamilton showed again that they can make the big play through the air as often as they need to. Three passes over 40 yards in this game, and, and that just demonstrates the ability of an explosive offense to overcome some efficiency issues. The Ticats' run game didn't generate very much, and they, they actually faced a fairly high percentage of second and long situations, but for the second week in a row, Richie Hull's defensive secondary couldn't come up with a play, and the, the result is 54 points conceded in the last five quarters for Winnipeg. At this point, this defense is living and dying with Willie Jefferson. I'm not sure what the exact breakdown would have ended at, but to my eye, Jefferson was either getting into the backfield and breaking up plays with pressure knockdowns or, or stuffs or he wasn't and, and none of the other 11 guys on the field were able to step up and the sticks were moving for Hamilton. I, I'd have to imagine there's going to be a lot of soul searching in the Winnipeg dressing room this week as their season now comes down to these remaining four games which isn't something that I, I expected to be saying a month ago. 
Last, and quite possibly least, uh, was the display put on by the Red Blacks and Eskimos on Saturday afternoon. Uh, that first half was as ugly a half as football as we're likely to see from two offenses all year. A similar vein to the Nichols announcement here, we found out the day beforehand that Trevor Harris was going on the six-game injured list, uh, his season in, in all likelihood finished. So unless there's a trade, which I do believe could be a possibility, this this will be Logan Kilgore's show the rest of the way. I guess if you're Edmonton, you're thankful you got just enough out of Kilgore to beat a really bad Ottawa team and snuff out any slim possibility of losing the crossover spot, but it's hard to envision this team going any further without Harris. This was an Ottawa defense that had been getting their asses kicked up and down the field for weeks, and, and the Eskimos came out and delivered the fewest number of successful snaps any team has had against that defense since week one of the season. Second downs were a total disaster most of the afternoon, one play of more than nine yards the whole game, which just so happened to be the controversial 17-yard touchdown pass that ended up propelling Edmonton to a win after they, they allowed the Red Blacks offense to score 11 points in the fourth quarter and tie this game up. It might not sound like anything particularly special, but that's actually the most points off Ottawa has managed in, in any one quarter since late August. The Red Blacks went with the two-quarterback option to start with. Neither Jonathan Jennings nor Dominique Davis were able to get much traction in the first half of the ball game, and Rick Campbell elected to let Davis uh, run things in the second half. I think at this point, they'd probably be best served letting Davis see the majority of reps the rest of the way. I still think there's potential there, and I, I don't think he's a guy you flush after one bad year in a really bad situation. Jennings was owed a fair shake by the organization. I think he's been given that, uh, at least in terms of, of playing time. But you may as well go with the guy who, who still has room to grow at this point and reevaluate at the end of the year. Um, Ottawa has a bye week now to ponder their situation as, as they prepare to play out the string. The lone point of interest in this game from our perspective had to be the minus seven spread, which Edmonton appeared to have battled their way to a push on. Lo and behold, Jason Moss elects to concede a safety on the final play of the game to give Ottawa the five-point loss and the cover that came with it. Not an uncommon tactic to drain the last few seconds off the clock, but I, I must say I've never seen a team go this route from way up at their own 35-yard line. It, typically in that situation, a coach will simply have his quarterback step back and heave it down the sideline as far as he can. Uh, I think there was five or six seconds on the clock, and that type of play is you know, pretty much risk-free and ensures there's a zero on the clock by the time the ball hits the ground, You know, presumably out of bounds if the, if the quarterback threw it to the right spot. I guess Coach Moss figured tossing the ball 35 yards backwards into his own end zone, which is considered a fumble should the man standing back there mishandle it, uh, was the better way to go. I don't understand the need to reinvent the wheel in that situation, but I, I digress, and unfortunately it wasn't uh, wasn't the result that, that we wanted there at the end, but uh, thankfully I wasn't too heavily invested in that outcome, and hopefully none of you guys had to needlessly take a bath on a bit of a strange decision there either. Edmonton, barring a complete miracle from, well, either themselves or one of the three teams behind them, uh, locks themselves into the crossover spot and heads into Hamilton on Friday night under somewhat less pressure than they'd have faced if they'd lost this game. This game will kick off week 17, so uh, yeah, let's start there, shall we? 
Tiger Cats opened as minus six favorites in this game with some early action pushing that line up uh, closer to seven points, uh, sitting right on seven at a lot of books now. Over-under opened 46.5, and, a half, and it's, uh, seemed to ping-pong ping around a little bit, bouncing between 45 and, and 47 up to this point. Looks like it's back at 46.5 uh, for the most part. So what's at stake here? Well, not really a whole lot. Uh, Hamilton is at a point where it would take a, a pretty incredible turn of events for them to lose their 3.5 game lead on the Alouettes for first place. And Edmonton, as mentioned, is is locked into that crossover spot, barring something extraordinary. You know, though, for as bad as things have gone for the Eskimos over the last month and a bit, if if they could have found a way to win even one of the five games they dropped to Winnipeg and Calgary, they'd, they'd still be right in the thick of things in that Western Conference playoff race. Uh, but as it stands, and anything short of a 4-0 finish uh, almost certainly has them heading east when the playoffs come around. These teams met up two weeks ago, as I'm sure we all remember. Uh, you know, and this game's almost a mirror image in terms of the travel situation. Edmonton electing to remain out east for the week, just as Hamilton remained out west after their game against Calgary. So the cross-country travel shouldn't be a factor here. To me, this looks like a case of a, a deceptively close recent meeting between the two teams in question, leading to a line that looks pretty darn attractive on the Hamilton side. I'll take a few minutes to go off on a tangent here. It's interesting to me that after a, a few weeks of pretty accurate lines from the, the odds makers from about mid-July until up until Labor Day, we've started seeing some lines again that are, are clearly off by a few points. I don't know exactly what goes on you know, behind the curtain, so to speak, at these betting shops when they're setting their lines, but... With the NFL getting going and in college football as well, I can't help but think a lot of these books have understandably focused uh, most or all of their resources towards properly handicapping the games that, that really make or break their week in the football world. And our little old CFL, fortunately for us, just isn't receiving the same attention to detail as it was afforded in the middle of the summer when almost nothing is going on sports-wise. I can't attach any real dollar figures to this, but I'd imagine a big primetime NFL matchup is drawing in as much money as, or more perhaps, than an entire CFL season might. So if if you're a bookmaker, getting scalped on a couple of bad CFL lines in the fall is small potatoes in the grand scheme of things, and that's opened the door for us to hopefully make a nice profitable push to the finish line. As far as this line goes, and you know, you've heard me say this already in the past, a change of venue in a home-and-home -home series or, or two meetings in three weeks in this case is, is typically worth about three points on the betting line game-to-game, -game, assuming no major injuries or an emphatic enough result in the first game to change market perceptions. What do we have here? Well, a three-point Hamilton win two weeks ago in a game they were favored by three points in. Factor in the venue change, add your three points for that, and you know, boom, you're right on the minus six, which is exactly where this opened. And if you were to tell me that that was the extent of the attention this line received from the boys in the back room, I probably wouldn't question it. And as I talked uh, about in last week's show, Ed Edmonton was very lucky to find themselves only down by a field goal at the, the final gun in that game from two weeks ago. You take the Dane Evans fumble on uh, on his own 30-yard line and the missed field goal that got run back 100 yards uh, the other way, and you know, Hamilton probably wins that game going away. 
This is why it's crucial to not simply evaluate an outcome in in terms of the final score. I think opening this at, at less than a full score was very generous. I, I had this projected closer to the you know nine nine and a half ten you know in that range. I like what the Edmonton defense has done for the most part in the last seven quarters of football after those three straight touchdown bombs. Hamilton hung on them in the first quarter of the last game. Ottawa ending up at 14, funny as it sounds, isn't exactly a stalwart performance, but you know, even against them, I'm sure you're happy conceding 14 and assuming your offense finds a way to win, which they did, barely. But yeah, this, this Eskimo offense under Kilgore, I, I just really don't see a way they managed to put up enough points in this game to keep it within a single score with the way they're playing right now. Uh, the complete lack of any creativity is the thing that gets me here. We've seen just about every team, and you know, at least every successful team, regularly trying something unique or even just stuff like a reverse or a lateral bubble screen with a passing option attached to it. It's stuff that at least might catch an opposing defense napping once in a while. We've seen absolutely nothing like this out of the Eskimos offense all year. And, and even before Harris went down, the predictability and the lack of any sizzle was really bogging this unit down. Trotting out the bare-bones basic playbook can work against a bad defense, but even last week Edmonton was facing either the worst or co-worst defense in the league and generated next to nothing. And bad execution wasn't really the main culprit for that. It's not like they were seeing drop balls or turnovers killing drives. Uh, Kilgore simply was content to throw the five-yard outs and check down if his first read wasn't available. And that's just not something I can envision changing uh, a great deal against a much better defense that they'll be facing this week. You know, Hamilton coming off a game where they, they only allowed the top rushing team in the CFL to grade 50% successful on run plays. C.J. Gable, obviously a big step down from Andrew Harris and not somebody I expect to cause a lot of issues for Simone Lawrence and company up front. You know, Kilgore is going to be forced to try and stretch out the field at least a little bit here, and that's something he hasn't been able to do with any regularity in two starts now. For Dane Evans in the Ticat offense, it comes down to protecting the football and making a few big plays through the air against an Edmonton secondary that's given them up somewhat frequently in recent weeks. With his own defense likely to give him good field position and plenty of possessions to work with, he just needs a good day at the office, nothing special, and that should be enough to get Hamilton to the finish line with a victory. You know, don't try too much. Get the ball to your playmakers, Brandon Banks and, and Braylon Addison, uh, the latter of those guys. Uh, somebody who I think the more casual observers are, are now starting to realize as well that, uh, you know, he's turned into one of the elite players in this league this season in, in his second year. I do have enough faith in the Edmonton defense to keep the Ticats from running away with this game, and I, I think that steers you in the direction of the under uh, under 47 or you know even 46 and a half here. I think it would probably take over 30 points from the home side to spoil things in that regard, you know, which is possible. Um, you know, but I simply don't see Edmonton finding the end zone with any regularity here without a, a big play on defense or, or special teams. They did get both of those things two weeks ago, which led to the 27 they put on the scoreboard. You know, but yeah, if it happens again, so be it. Uh, you know, but yeah, I'd, I'd be cautious about going over in this spot. Uh, 
Some quick lineup notes, nothing major really. Delvin Bro back into the Hamilton lineup. He's been out for a number of weeks now, but the secondary's been playing great football nonetheless, so I'm not sure he really moves the needle as, as much as his star power might suggest he would. On the Edmonton side, Anthony Orange, who already missed a chunk of the season injured, uh, is back on the sixth game, presumably done for the year, so... Taekwon Glass, the rookie, uh, will will get back into the lineup at the corner position. Uh, that uh, will be the lone game on Friday night uh, with the CFL scheduling another uh, one of their Super Saturdays, as they've been calling them, uh, triple headers for the weekend. Um, still waiting on some lineup notes and uh, you know potential uh, late injury news to to come down from the other six teams that. It'll be in action, uh, but I wanted to get uh, get the Edmonton Hamilton uh, preview out uh, out here uh, quickly while that line's still still sitting at seven. Uh, because uh, hint hint, uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats just might be the the best bet on the board this week, and uh, you want to want to be able to get the the best number possible on on that game for you guys. So. Uh, We'll break this one into two parts again. Uh, it's, I mean, it's Thursday afternoon right now as I'm recording this. Uh, we'll we'll wait for a little bit more uh, injury and lineup news to come out uh, on the other three games, and uh, sometime probably either either late tonight or, or potentially uh, sometime on uh, you know in the day on Friday. We will get part two of this podcast out, which will of course take an in-depth look at the the other three games. Uh, yeah, but for now we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. And uh, yeah, if you haven't already already jumped on the the Tiger Cats, I would I would maybe uh, give that a, a serious look. So we will uh, thank you for listening to to this segment, and uh, we will hopefully uh, see you again shortly for part two. <laughs>